you know, splitting from something like that, it's like having a divorce and losing the kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you still have to see the Facebook page. Right. <laughs> you things, know, things still go on. Yeah. You know, your things spouse with the new significant other who's <laughs> now raising your child. Hi everybody, this is Soren Johnson and you're listening to Designer Notes, a podcast about why we make games. Today we are talking to Amy Hennig, who is a creative director at Electronic Arts. Amy is best known for leading the design of the Legacy of Kane series at Crystal Dynamics and the Uncharted series at Naughty Dog. I'm sure a lot of people will be interested in hearing like, exactly how that came together. Yeah, there was, even when I came before, you know, as we're starting Jack 3, it was like some ideas had already been kicked around about, you know, uh, kind of a post-apocalyptic world with, um, uh, I don't even remember what it was about, whether it was like with a city with a big hole in it. I don't remember what the hole was for. Um, <laughs> but it was a cool image. Um uh-huh. We talked about at one point about doing something in a completely like an underwater location. We dodged that bullet because Bioshock <laughs> then came out. Um, and look, all the post-apocalyptic stuff too that was also we could see what other people were trying to work on. And it was like, you know, if everybody's going this direction, we need to go a different direction. Yeah. And um, what what are we known for? Color, humor. Like, don't stray from... What? It's not easy to do, so don't stray from what you're good at. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is making sepia-toned, desaturated, post-apocalyptic, right. depressing Yeah, this is games. the Gears of War as age, yeah. Yeah, there was a version, actually, interestingly, because I think it was kind of seeds of Last of Us. There was a version that we played with for a while. We liked the idea of being an, uh, an Indiana Jones-esque character, but doing it in a post-apocalyptic future... Mm-hmm. But not the way you envision that, meaning it is a world reclaimed by nature, right? Mm-hmm. And so that you would be a treasure hunter, you'd be a finder of things, but it's artifacts of our time. Of our time yeah. So that you would go into these forbidden zones, like, you know, these decaying cities, yep. basically kind of, you know, what Last of Us looks like. And, mm-hmm. and you know, fight your way through past whatever kind of mutated creatures and whatever would have been there. To then go into the treasure you might be getting is you know you know an old phonograph record for somebody who's a collector of these you know antiquities that yep. kind of thing mm-hmm. like a twist on the idea of being a treasure hunter and we loved the idea of doing this sort of beautiful post-apocalyptic world it was yeah. just verdant and green and you know deer running through the streets and all that kind of stuff mm. um, but at a certain point I don't know what exactly you know kind of what turned us and, and you know it just felt like well maybe we're loading too much weird on weird here right that maybe we just make it's enough to make a contemporary Indiana Jones-esque pulp action adventure game now there were concerns it's like you mean like Tomb Raider it's like well not because the point was is that first of all female hero instead of you know male which is what we were pitching but um, she's an aspirational hero right and we knew we never wanted to do that sort of James Bond-esque... I mean, at the time, yeah. she was perfect. Yeah, right? sure. She was, like, dry and quippy and acrobatically perfect and, you know, uh, not 
not relatable. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that in a pejorative way. I just that was not the type of character she was. And so we were like, well, all right. Well, what's interesting about trying to do something Indiana Jones esque is, first of all, not to make a period story. So don't make it set in the '30s. Mm-hmm. Make it set now, uh, and ask ourselves, well, what does it mean to be a contemporary treasure hunter, right? Now, it's stuff that we de- we delved deeper into as we went into the series, but the fact, like, even in our our initial proposal document, uh, we said, all right, well, look, first of all, we're going to play on all the tropes. We're going to deconstruct all the tropes of the genre and reconstruct it as a game. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going, going to to do that. One of the most important aspects of being one of these heroes is to not be aspirational. If you look at Indiana Jones, he's not aspirational in the way that Lara Croft is. Mm-hmm. He gets sweaty and dirty and beat up and scared and he makes mistakes and he flinches and all that stuff. So what you need is this completely down-to-earth, rumpled, dirty, flawed hero, mm-hmm. which defined all of our initial challenges for the tech, right? It's like, okay, so we have to have an organic human locomo- locomotion system. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to... He should be dressed in a t-shirt and jeans, mm-hmm. uh, and the cloth has to look like cloth. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't have a shaved head or a helmet, a space helmet. He's got hair, so we're going to fucking do hair. Um, he's got to be charming and have sort of, you know, nuanced animation. So we have to have an animation rig, not only in his body, but in his face, that allows us to do that. We have to write it in such a way that we're embracing the charm and the buoyancy and the humor. And we have to shoot it in a way that's going to get us to that. Um, work with the actors in a way that's going to get us to that. Um, we need a layered, blended, additive animation system that's going to let us have him trip and stumble and flinch when guns go, gunfire goes by and not have those all be unique animations. So it's like, well, we, we were already having our work cut out for us, and we're all we're talking about at this point is the hero. Mm-hmm. But again, that's what's exciting when you go, great, we know what we're making, and we know what that means, let's go make that thing. So... Um, so it was interesting that it sort of evolved to this place where it was like, at the period of what we were trying to do, as opposed to going, well, let's make a contemporary version of Indiana Jones, but let's put it in the future, and he's looking for these kinds of... It's like, uh, maybe we take some things off that pile sure. and just make this. Yeah. You no, know? In, in doing so, you probably made the game significantly more mainstream. I think so. But did you, did you think of it in those terms? or I mean, yeah, I'm sure it brought the appeal, but... Yeah, I mean, but not in a not this sort of pragmatic, cynical way. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, well, I'm sure I we had. I mean, I, I guess where I'm getting at is, I think a lot of times game developers they can't help but kind of shoot themselves in the foot yeah. by going overboard yeah. of like fantasy elements or sci-fi yes. elements that like you just it's just not necessary. Right. Well, um, then look, and at the time, and still today, I mean, there's not that many of them left. But you would, we flip through the game magazines, right? Mm-hmm. Game magazines. Don't be careful with that. Um, and uh, it was just, it's like boring, 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 boring. It's the same stuff again and again and again. Yeah. And sometimes you would hit upon something you're like, oh, I've never seen that before. Mm-hmm. But it's like everybody was influenced, you know, similar in age, influenced by the same things yep. growing up. The same stuff is either we're either aping the same stuff or just unconsciously repeating the you know chewing the cud of you know all the stuff that we grew up on. Um, and so you kind of and look, I mean. Look, I'm not presenting Uncharted as being widely original. It was intentionally not. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. But the original thing was to go, I mean, literally in our, you know, little 
uh, log line, one sentence pitch was, is this is going to be an interactive movie in yep. the best possible sense, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning that we're going to take all of those conventions that we're so familiar with from the films mm-hmm. and then figure out how to make it interactive. And that meant deconstructing it in this really analytical way and then going, all right, now let's, how do we turn that into a toolbox? What does that mean? Now, how much of your film school background came into play at this point? Or was it just, you know, I think it being did. a huge fan of you? Okay, go ahead. You no, know, I, mean, I, I mean, I'm sure it did, right? Because that was part of what I had to do back then, right? Mm-hmm. Is I had to take a film like Citizen Kane or a Hitchcock film or something like that. I mean, you know, take Battleship Potemkin and break it down frame by frame, shot mm-hmm. by shot, and think about, well, what is that? So that, that analytical process of sort of saying, what is this and why does it work? Um was kind of I'd been trained to do that I guess you know what I mean uh, no how did this play out in terms of actually developing the game in terms of like obviously I can see how having you know a strong background in film is going to help out with the cutscenes. Mm-hmm. but what about with the you know the gameplay like the, yeah and that's the, the thing is, is I actually haven't really I mean obviously I didn't start writing on games until Soul Reaver okay um, just because it's like nobody's else there's nobody else here to do it yeah um, you know, I think I can ape the, you know, the, the flowery language of Legacy of Blood Omen, you know, and then and then do this kind of overwrought vampire thing, mm-hmm. and I mean that in the most loving way possible. But it was intentionally overwrought, um, uh, and so that kind of put me on that path. And what's interesting is, is it connected me with somebody who became a mentor, who's uh, Gordon Hunt, who's a uh, uh, an acting teacher and a director. Had been a voice director for years, and then had moved into directing uh, television. Mm-hmm. Um, who had I had never met him, and they had found him and chosen him and his uh, one of his partners to direct the VO for Legacy of Kane. Mm-hmm. That was already underway when I showed up. When we went to go do Soul River, I was like, "Well, I want to work with that guy, yeah. right?" And so that became the beginning of a partnership that you know just lasted. Um, and I kind of just studied what he was doing and kind of learned at his at his knee. Um, uh, I kind of went off on a tangent there, but like it, the, the idea that you know performance is important uh-huh. was not common at the time. I mean, a lot of these things that we take is like, yeah, sure, of course, common sense. Now it's like you know, people weren't doing anything. I mean, I brought the actors in the studio to work together at the same time two different mics and play their scenes together on the Soul River games. Nobody had ever done that before. I mean, I'm sure people had, but like even in animation, like they often bring one actor in at a time. Yeah. But the fact that, you know, they can actually act together and acting is reacting, mm-hmm. really, as opposed to just giving somebody a bunch of lines on a sheet with no context. Yeah. Like, uh, and then when we moved into doing Uncharted, I called Gordon again and said, hey, what do you think about mocap? And he's like, what? What's that? <laughs> and, uh, I mean, he was like, I mean, how old is he now? I'm probably 80... 86 maybe oh. something like that um, so I mean you know he was an older guy mm-hmm. not familiar with games on that level and you know oh. he knew how to go into the booth and studio and, you know direct actors but uh, I'm like this is an exciting new thing and you know we charged it and, and you know did mocap but um, but as far as the gameplay goes uh, that same deconstruction deconstruction process was not only going all right well therefore what tech do we need but also what does that say about our game mechanics what does it say about the sequences in our game if we're going to structure it 
like one of these films, how are they structured? You know, how many levels do we have? Where do they tend to break? How do they break? Where are the upturns and downturns? Where are the reversals? Because it's not just about saying, oh, so it's like Indiana Jones, so he should, like, shoot and, like, climb things and solve puzzles, right? Mm. It's like, well, that's a piece of it, I suppose. But what it is is to go, like, no, if, if at the end of it you want to feel like you've played a film, it has to be structured exactly like one of the films. What does that mean exactly? Or what, the, you know, if you can sum it up and... I can show you on my laptop. I've got all the <laughs> diagrams in there. Okay. Um, it's uh, so you you know literal deconstruction, like you. It's, you well, it's like it sort of saying, well, let's break the film and look at it. Uh-huh. And like I have Excel doc that breaks these films down, uh-huh. and like so they all have prologue sequences. How long do they tend to last? Mm, yeah. What's happening in them? Yep. Do they all start in medias rest as opposed to laying down exposition? Why do they do that? Because these kinds of stories need a lot of exposition about the historical. A mystery or the artifact that you're after and you don't want to start a film with that because it's incredibly dry yep. you earn it by getting through that exciting prologue and then you get to settle in for some story time yep. um, uh, you see rules about like are we staying with the protagonist do we cut away from him mm-hmm. uh, about how many locations do we tend to have now granted you're talking about a 12 hour game versus to our film but like you can look at analogies Obviously, just looking at even as a screenplay, act breaks, mm-hmm. um, big mid- midpoint reversals, um, uh, you know, using the language of other sort of screenwriting books and things like that. It's sort of like, you know, well, where does your catalytic moment, where does your inciting incident come in? Um, where's the right mark for a B story to come in? All of a sudden, like studying what's true in these films, then going, all right, so structurally, we know what we're trying to build. Mm-hmm. In terms of the propulsion of the player through the experience, we know how to pace it right, um, mm-hmm. as long as we don't lose our way, which is hard not to do sometimes, right? Um, in terms of the kinds of verbs that yeah. go into these experiences, you can break it down and go, all right, well, how are those verbs game mechanics and not just what I'm watching on screen? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the way I've described it, too, in terms of breaking down uh, these stories, whether it's a, a movie or a game, is really it just breaks down into events, objectives, and sequences. Mm-hmm. And then rinse and repeat, right? Yeah. So events, what kinds of things happen, right? Mm-hmm. Well, we get captured, right? We we escape. We... Uh, uh, we get ambushed. Somebody, somebody steals something from us. One of our friends gets killed. Like, mm-hmm. like you can make a list, and it's not actually that exhaustive of the kind of things that happen that, that are catalysts, yeah. right? And then that says, "All right, so a thing happens, right?" And then that that creates a new objective. We got captured. All right, our next objective is to escape, mm-hmm. right? Somebody else got captured. All right, our next objective is to rescue them, yeah. and then that defines the next sequence, which is all right. So is that. An escape sequence? Is it a chase sequence? Um, is, it, is it an assault? Mm-hmm. Right? Good. So, you know, my friend got captured, so we're going to infiltrate to rescue them. Um, that's my next goal, and uh, we're going to do that. Um, oh, so, so actually, so, oh, so we're going to rescue them. That's the goal, and we're going to do that by infiltration. Great. Then we rescue them. All right. But now we have to escape. So next, next event is we get caught. Right. So now we got to escape. No, that becomes a chase sequence. Okay, cool. Chase, did we escape? Yes. So now it's the next event. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, 
that's just how these things are structured. And so, that, I mean, it just gives you a very simple way to structure your game as well. And then what it also does is it keeps you honest because if you look at that and go, um, I'm doing the same thing over and over and over right after each other, mm-hmm. it's a problem, right? And also you can't just, and this is the difference between, say, a movie and a game, they're constantly changing things up between slow exploration, uh, big fights, escape sequences, chase sequences, vehicle sequences, set pieces, like mm-hmm. that. And so if we want to walk away going, we recreated in an interactive context the experience of one of those films, but you get to play, you get to be the hero. It better have all those things. It is right. some, some of those parts. And that's, I think, the difference when you look at some of the games like what we did with Uncharted and why it sort of was unique at the time and in some ways still is because those things are very expensive and hard and time-consuming to make. So it it's very hard to defend against any sort of development culture that is about axing risk. Mm. Axing risk. Um, that like a specific set piece. It's it like, doesn't like make, we're going to spend so much time on this one thing. It doesn't make sense last, on paper. It's going to last like a minute, right? Yeah, so you think about like... You know, the Uncharted 2, there's the big convoy truck chase. Mm-hmm. I think it was six minutes. Took a long time, <laughs> right? But without yeah. those peak events, just like when you're making a film, it's like, that's going to be really hard and really expensive and really dangerous. And But yeah. you just know you got to do that. Yeah, so every you better min- any, Every it. minute of the film is definitely not cost the same. You know, yeah, obviously. no, absolutely. Versus <laughs> a, you know, a scene sitting, two people sitting at a table, right? Yeah. But that's okay, and as long as we don't look at game design as going, well, we're going to make one of these, and then we're going to make 12 of them. Yeah. Then, then you know, you, you, you have to kind of follow the lead of the films. Um, so, I don't know if I strayed from your original question or not, but, like, so taking that tack of mm. going, all right, we're actually going to really deconstruct and honor the genre and figure out how we're reconstructing it as a game. We're going to have what we think is part of that, which is this sort of relatable, flawed, vulnerable hero, and all the complexities that come with that from a technological perspective. Um, and we're, instead of just saying, okay, there's a sort of mythological element, you know, I'm looking for, um, like, a, whatever Lara Croft might be going for, it's usually tied around you know, mythology versus history. We went the historical angle mm-hmm. and said, all right, well, here's this thing that happened in history, and there's this actual real-life historical mystery that could have a big what-if on it. Well, we're going to answer the what-if right. and then make that our premise and then take you on that trip. Yeah. So those things we felt like were like, okay, first of all, when people started like, well, oh, you're just a dude raider. It's like, first of all, like, like there's not room for more than one of these kinds of games, sure. right? Um and we're not just, right? It was actually a very different thing at the time, mm-hmm. right? Interestingly, Tomb Raider's come around more to the point right. where it's we are. becomes certain, yeah, I know. Yeah. Things influence each other, right? So Right, and then yeah. you have to so you have to start moving away and, and, and inventing new stuff, otherwise it's a snake eating its tail, right? Yeah. Uh, but, so it was kind of an interesting journey for me mm-hmm. from going, I would like to direct Tomb Raider. Oh, no, we're going to bring in somebody else to do that. And then go, okay, well, I'll just go over here then and make this thing. Yeah. Right? Right. I mean, originally, it, it wasn't clear at all it would be something that would be seen as such a competitor to Tomb Raider. But, uh, no, we were mocked. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and look, we, we had to stay the course. And this is the, kind of the, the best lesson that I can try to give people that are, you know, in, in game development and game design is 
everything we do, both internally and as a group and externally to the people who, you know, publishers and people paying for us, is this massive sustained act of faith, right? Mm -hmm. There's no certainty. So you either embrace that and kind of love it, or you should be doing something else. Mm -hmm. And the best work is done by leaping into the void. My my writing partner, Todd, has an improv background, and he quoted Del Close to me once. I think his... Uh, who's a famous improv teacher, and I think the quote is sort of like, you know, just jump and figure it out on the way down, mm-hmm. which is kind of that the joy of, of improv. What we do is improv. Right. This idea of like creating these design documents that make everything knowable and spreadsheets and PLs and everything that's meant to mitigate risk are all folly, right? Because yeah. What we're doing is iteration. It could change wildly tomorrow based on what we learned today, and yeah. and it should. It's invention, not manufacturing. Right. Right. So speaking of that, when you're talking about you know looking you know deconstructing a film to see why all these things specific things happen, like you know the example of like why did they start with an action prologue? It's like like yeah, I totally see how like that fits the game very well. You know, you get a a, you know, a good, engaging, fun sequence up front, so that when you get to the exposition, like they're ready for a little bit of break. Right. Like that seems great. What elements when you deconstructed, uh, when you deconstructed the film, and you tried to make work, were there elements that did not work, and things you had to ignore from film? Yeah, and I think what some of them were. I mean, there was. Oh, I'm forgetting now because it was kind of specific to Indiana Jones. I thought. But there's one verb I had in my list that was like that we we can't do that, and I think it was because um, it sort of messed with the player's agency, and I'm I'm, I'm blanking on what it was because it's I haven't thought about it in a while. But first of all, percentages of things, right? You want to hit your major landmarks at the same time, right? As a film would act breaks, things like that. It doesn't change scale. Mm-hmm. I mean, just because your thing is twelve hours and not two hours. Um, you can't have six times as much plot, right? Like, it'd be crazy. Right, right. So. You've still got the same sort of arc and you have the same landmarks because otherwise it just feels weird. And I mean, and obviously there's four-act structures and seven-act structures, and it's, mm-hmm. but it's still like that idea of structure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting and a rule that we set for ourselves in Uncharted that I'm having to break in Star Wars is that you really don't cut away to what the villain's doing because in a game, in a movie we are the p- privileged observer we are watching right right we know things the hero doesn't know and that actually creates suspense for us um, which is part of the experience in a game that's completely different because if what you do is you separate your identification with the hero by saying well now I'm going to cut away to a scene where you learn something he doesn't know right I mean, the, like the <laughs> the the bad version that sort of explains it is sort of like if if you're going down a hallway and then I cut to a scene around the corner where the bad guys are waiting and then you come back to the player like well I'm not going to go forward <laughs> right. then right like in a film that's right. that's perfectly that's acceptable and you're like oh no they don't know somebody's around the corner right yeah. the other thing is you know I thought about this too in terms of are there things that the you know the the hero would know and we don't yeah, there's and the that's opposite. weird, right? Yeah. Right. So, like, that's why some of the games have the amnesia element, right? So, yeah, and I, but I think you can sort of, you have to do it carefully, um, mm-hmm. so it doesn't feel like, well, wait a second, now I'm, I have some dissonance here with my identification because, 
How would he know something I don't, or I know something he doesn't, right? You can sustain that briefly or in ways that feel like they are informing other things. So, for mm -hmm. instance, like, if I already know, we'll use Marion in the Tent as an example in mm -hmm. Indiana Jones, because they don't cut away to the villains in those films really either, right? Okay. The way they do in Star Wars, where you're like, meanwhile, yeah. on the Death Star, mm -hmm. right? But we cut back and look at what's happening with Marion in the Tent because yeah. we know she's in there. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's in elaborating on and informing what India already knows. Right. Right? Um, I mean, theoretically, it's kind of like almost his imaginations of like, what's the worst that could be in there, right? You know, or like... Yeah, right, right in a way. I mean, of course, it's not literally, it's literally true, but it yeah. feels like it doesn't... I think the, the question is, is, does the player now have information that would alter their course, or is it just sort of enhancing what they already know? Right. Um, and so, and so then the flip of that, like I said, at the beginning of Uncharted 3, for instance, I had the characters sort of in medias res, um, pulling a con. Mm -hmm. Um, and one thing appears to be happening, and then you come back after a little flashback, and it's clear that something, it was a con. And you realize that, you know, this other guy was in on it, and... I was worried that there would be this sense of dislocation right there, which was like, well, wait a second. So Drake knew something I didn't, and now I have to rethink that whole event. But because it was at the front of the story, because it was in media's rest, and because we got to that reveal so quickly, mm -hmm. I think it worked okay. Right. But you'd have to consider something like that. So, for instance, like, it's something I'm fascinated by, but, like, think about heist films. Mm-hmm. Uh... You get to the end of a heist film, and there's often some sort of this reveal where yeah. you're like, oh, holy Everything shit. Everything is different from what you saw, right? Right. Or yeah. like, um, you know, the hero has pulled some massive con that you thought, oh, no. Like like Mammoth's heist, for instance. You think he's yeah. been fucked out of everything, and then you realize he's got the gold. Sorry, spoilers. Yep, yep. Um, uh, you couldn't do that in a game. Right, because you can't sustain that suspense over the entire thing because now you're sort of just this privileged observer or unprivileged observer playing something that you're kind of disconnected on. Yeah. So I'm sure there's ways of solving it, but it's something we have to be careful about because identification on that level is something different than it is in a film and yeah. you know, in the agency that goes goes along with it. Um, so did you, were you learning some of these lessons as you went through the first Uncharted? Like, mm -hmm. Were there things you tried that... I mean, this, this is what I'm curious about because, I mean, the way I make... I mean, I, I develop strategy games which build very differently. They're sure, very much you build from the bottom up. And, yeah, you know, and I would and make things. a terrible one of those because, again, <laughs> like, you know, I haven't had any of the grounding in it. Right, but, well, it's... I mean, I can't imagine making uh, these sort of uh, narrative-based games because the way I envision it is you have to write all the stuff up front, yeah. you know, write the... Because it's not just that it needs this narrative that all fits together, but, like... A bunch of people are going to have to start building these scenes, right? Yeah. But, you know, no matter what type of game you're making, game development is still about iteration. Yeah. So, like, where does it, how does the iteration happen when you have to write this full script and you have to, like... you don't people... write the full script. This is okay. the crazy part, right? right? So what you do... I mean, I can even show you, like, like this is the thing I was showing yesterday, as long as I don't make it legible and reveal things I shouldn't reveal. <laughs> um, so this, for instance, is sort of... A work in progress breakdown of uh, 
Okay. The game I'm working on. I'm seeing a a, a, a wall with a lot of post-it notes on it. <laughs> a lot of colored Lots post-it of notes that are ordered in specific patterns. Colors and yeah, yeah. And, and markers, and they all mean something, right? Spoilers. Spoilers, yes. <laughs> oh no. Um, the thing is, is the, so what you do is you first of all you have to be a holistic thinker. Mm-hmm. You can't be like you have to see the forest for the trees all the time. So dive down to the grass, then be able to go up all the way up to the forest again mm-hmm. and not lose your way because what you're doing is building this thing that's constantly shifting underfoot it's not anything like making a film where you write the whole thing and lock it down and then you go make it okay. and even film isn't that cut and dry either of course right, right. Um, but because of their, the way they work that's what pre-production is for is all of nailing all of that down because they're going to hit this very brief and the most expensive part of their development, which is production, yeah. um, where they got the whole crew and the cast and everybody there and doing all this expensive stuff, and then you know, then post production. But so you you're creating an outline on the wall in a way that you can move things around if you need to. Yes, yeah, scale things, move them around, and so as but where's the where's the feedback part of that where you're like, okay, now I see that like this needs to be changed, and I made it now, which saved us. You know, I made the change now, which was great because I saved us money later. But like. Right. How did you figure out at that point that it was wrong? Um, well, first of all, obviously, as much as story and gameplay inform each other, when you're talking about non-interactive cutscenes, you know, part of it is just making sure that there's a handshake between those things, mm-hmm. um, and then they're not going to be dissonant or betray the gameplay in some way. And look, we don't always get it right. You know, there's times where I mean, there was an example in Uncharted One that you know drove us crazy, but there's nothing we could do about it. Where one of the first scenes we had written and recorded, because we mm-hmm. the thing is we write these a scene at a time, out of sequence, um, and then uh, and then as you go like and then re- record them maybe over the course of a year. Okay. And so by the time you're done, you have this assembled script. Uh huh. all these individual scenes that are going getting put back into a folder in chronological order, but it doesn't start that way. And the reason is, is because in the same way you do iteration game development, you want to be able to leave yourself nimble enough in the story so that you know where you're headed, you know the story you're trying to tell, you know kind of the outline in your head, but you don't start with a shooting draft. Um, I don't anyway. Okay. You know, it's like I know all the pieces, and then as you work on the game and like find it, because that's the nature of making a game. And as you work on the scenes that you're shooting, and you try to shoot the safest ones first, and find it, as you're working with the actors, you're like, oh, he's this guy, right? Like, well, I'm going to write to that. I'm going to learn his cadences. I'm going to learn his little idiosyncrasies. I'm going to draw from what I'm learning about the actor and work that into the character. Um, Things grow and evolve because of the nature of collaboration and the improvisation that we do. All of which makes, ideally and ultimately, the thing feel more alive and organic and jangly in a good way. Mm-hmm. But you don't do it in order from the beginning no, to no, the end? No, no. But, but if you're... seems like then you'd have a hard time because if something... Well, I don't know. It's a crazy <laughs> mental juggling act, yeah, right? Because that's hard. <laughs> and, and look, part of the reason is... Because, you know, one could, if, ha- if one had the time write the entire script like but they're big right we're really thick scripts it's not like a right. movie script you could write the whole thing ahead of time and then just go okay well that exists as a thing and then when i go actually shoot the scenes and, and prep 
I could rewrite them, I could revise them, right? right? But I still have kind of the whole thing sitting over here. Probably but, there's usually it's not time for that. Right. But if you do the recording of some of the later scenes, and then later on, as opposed to like if you did them in order, yeah. like it seems like you could, if halfway through you want to make a change, but oh, shoot, we already recorded the ending, now it's too late to make that change. As opposed to if you went through it in order, you're yeah. all, you can always change the stuff that's in the future, right? Yeah, but think about it. They don't shoot films in order either usually, right? You know, so right. but of course they're still working from a, a clearer blueprint maybe than we are. Right. I mean, but, I assume the screenplay is pretty much done by the time they start shooting. So right. I mean, so I don't, they still know where they're headed, right? Right. But like, and and we do too. It's just that it may not be written word for word yet. Right. Is it more like you film the your film or whatever you yeah. you record the parts that you feel like the most confident about? Is that if you is can that your choice? Basically, yeah, if you can, uh, the okay. stuff that like maybe isn't as load bearing as okay. some of the other stuff. Um, but a lot of this is like completely subject to the vagaries of the actor schedules. Like, if you think about it, you've got all these working actors, mm-hmm. and if you've got this big cast, and you're looking at this Venn diagram of when they're available, sometimes you're like, "Holy shit, this day right here, that's right, when we can get the them all." Time, yeah. You know what I mean? Or you go like, "Okay, we're ready to shoot. We got the stage. We want to get some more stuff in the can so the animators can work on it." Who can we even get in at the same time? Like, oh, we can get these three people. All right, so I guess we should shoot that scene that happens two-thirds of the way through. You know what I mean? Like, there's so many moving parts that affect these decisions, right? So it's a bit like, you know, it's like jumping out of the plane without the parachute, right? Which is like... um, You mentioned... Did we skip over an anecdote? It seemed like you had like an anecdote about the first Uncharted where you talked about like there was some Yeah, scene. sorry, we did. Thank you. I'm glad you're far more focused than I am. <laughs> See, this I'm telling you. I just... Well, it's, I'm, I asked the question, so it's <laughs> a okay. lot easier. Um, right, go ahead. Yeah, so for instance, there's an example. So, so this is evident in the games, and there are things that, you know, I cringe about, I wish I could go back and change, I wish I could fix, but you're like, you're constantly watching to go like, well, is this imperfect but Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, like, does it break things? Because the the greater good of working the way we do is that there is this sort of, I think, there's this sort of immediacy and this organic realism to it, which is mm-hmm. coming out of this crazy, jangly process. Okay. Right? It's not, and I always tell people, don't white-knuckle the thing. Mm-hmm. You just got to kind of, like, hold the reins lightly. Whether you're talking about, like, directing a team, directing actors, you know, like... It's not about you controlling everything with white. So you can't, you can't control even all the craziness of like what may change. Like right. you'll, you'll drive yourself crazy thinking you can, right? So it's more the 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 job is actually about like keeping your balance when everything's shifting. Yeah. And that's why I say being a holistic thinker. I'm still going to get to the anecdote. Um, <laughs> being a holistic thinker is so important because. If you pull a pin or move a piece, you better be able to chase down that entire web of interconnected dependencies and understand what the ramifications of that thing are. Mm-hmm. If you can't, your thing is going to be a mess. Okay. Right? Um, and let's say we have written and shot a scene that happens a third of the way through. Okay. When we write that scene, we are writing in, which is going to drive you crazy. <laughs> We're writing in payoffs to things that we will have foreshadowed. 
but mm-hmm. haven't written yet. Mm-hmm. And we're writing in foreshadowing for things that we might shoot six months from now right. and pay off then. And you better remember that you did that. Right? right? Uh-huh. So if we refer to something in a scene in a sort of offhand way, we might be going, oh, that's because when we write that scene that happened in the first chapter, he's going to say something that we're now answering. Right. Mental note, mm-hmm. right? So when we write that scene, we don't forget. Right. Um, and that we need to be teeing up something that is going to be important later, but we're just giving a little clue to it right here. So we need to know that in our writing. We need to be able to tell the actors, like, yeah, this is a third of the way through. I know this is the first scene we're shooting, a third of the way through. Sorry about that. But what you're saying here is a thing that you're, you're referring back to something you will have said, right? Right. So... It's crazy making, right? Like to, to, to design and write something this way, but it's also kind of like, well, you can either let yourself be made crazy by it or you can just jump and figure it out on the way down, mm-hmm. right? Which is just kind of going, all right, you know, I trust the holistic process, I trust the organicness of this. And, you know, I've often described it as like putting together a jigsaw puzzle uh, with all the pieces upside down. It might be some pieces from different jigsaw puzzles. You're not sure. And then you're trying to put it all together. And at a certain point, it starts to sort of coalesce. And then you flip it over and there's a picture. Mm. That's what it feels like making a game like this. Mm -hmm. And that flip over the picture happens about two months before you're done, it feels like. (laughs) Wow, that's scary. It's terrifying, right? Yeah. So until then, it's living. I always say, get get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Because... If you try to make it feel more known and more nailed down and more sure, more certain, you're probably going to make something that's kind of dead. Yeah. But if you just go, this is crazy and it's going to feel crazy and it's a tightrope walk and we're doing it backwards and blindfolded, let's go. Yeah. Then, you know, and where there's flaws, you kind of go, did it destroy the thing that it was flawed? Or is it an okay trade-off to the fact that the rest of it has this sort of immediacy? Right. I mean, that's a subjective call, but I would rather get that kind of jangly immediacy. Um, so, the anecdote was <clears throat> in Uncharted 1, we had a scene that we shot earlier on where <clears throat> after a big chase sequence, Drake and Elena end up kind of together taking a breather like talking a little bit it's a little kind of a little character relationship seen as a budding relationship there was supposed to be no combat between the resolution of that chase sequence and that scene just a little bit of traversal and exploration right the designers felt like it was too boring Mm -hmm. probably right Um, even though it was pretty short and so they're like put a bunch of pirates in there Mm -hmm. and so suddenly you have like a tiny breather mm-hmm. after the chase resolves and then bang, 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 fight, mm-hmm. fight, break some next one of them, right? And then you walk through a door and have this sweet little scene. Mm-hmm. Felt stupid. <laughs> but at that point, you kind of go like, all right, either we can go, either we can reshoot the scene, mm-hmm. yep. we could move it, which now is fucking the layout. We could say, don't put the gameplay in there. Mm-hmm. Or you just go, oh well, right. you know, you don't win them all, right? Yeah. 
Did it ruin the game because of that one moment? No. I mean, in the moment, you're kind of like, oh, this is awful. You yeah. know, I can't do this. I can't It's hard to like tell how straight. a player is going to feel playing it for the first time through, right? I mean, obviously, you're trying to make lots of decisions to make that great. Yeah. But a lot of these things are things that, like, are going to bug you because you're looking at it. Yeah, so look, I, I, people commented on it, and, and as they should have, you know. I mean, because, look, it's a very, it's a flawed game. Like, every, everything's a flawed game. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you, you pick your battles, right? And it's like, and also... We always say that, you know, making a game is like, you know, being on a runaway train and you're trying to lay the tracks in front of it. You're actually trying to probably build the train too, right? Like, right. so again, either get comfortable with that or do something else because that's yeah. the job. But the right? le- the levels themselves as they're, I mean, those must be a lot harder to adjust and move around, right? Yes, like, that kind of stuff's harder. I mean, you can do things that make it easier, like, you know build with kind of instances of, of, of set pieces and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, yeah, you don't really want to be hacking into the layout. So is that, are those kind of like the first things you guys have to nail down? Like, well, well, what you need to nail down is like, and this is where the pacing thing is important and it's really easy to lose your way unless you're watching it, is, um, and, and we lost it a few times, um, is the movie analogy of going, how long should the sequence last? Yeah. And kind of make, what is the equation that lets you say, well, in a movie, this would have been 10 minutes. We can tolerate 30, right? Mm-hmm. Because it needs to be more gameplay than just being over like that. And kind of understanding that, I mean, for a game like this in general, in general, because it's not specific, like, you want a level to be somewhere between 30 minutes and an hour or so, 45 minutes on the average. Mm-hmm. And you better be changing things up. You know, a chunk better last 10, 15 minutes, mm-hmm. you know? Um, again, not a hard and fast rule, but it's something that it's sort of like if you look at how things are trending as you're building it, and you're like, "Holy shit, that level's three hours long! It was supposed to be forty-five minutes. You got a problem." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and sometimes you don't realize it until it's well in development because these buys build fast. It goes to the artist. You're looking over here, and then you come back and go, "Oh no, that was supposed to be a third of that size." Um, what do you do then? You chop it, or yeah, you... sometimes chop them down. Yeah. Which is which feels incredibly counterintuitive because it's like it's been worked on and yeah. you can play it and it's gameplay and so you're gonna what chop an hour out of your game and say let's ship a ten hour game instead of eleven hour game that feels really counterintuitive so a lot of times it stays and you just go oh okay you know yeah. hopefully it doesn't overstay it's welcome but sometimes you can see when people look at these games or talk about them or review them they talk about where they're bogging down yep. And the thing is, is those are the places where the play testing, you need to scrutinize, you need to do play testing, but also the more we can do it up front by laying down, that thing I showed you, mm-hmm. by laying that down and going, this piece should be 45 minutes long. Right. Otherwise, it's going to overstay its welcome. Um, or be too short or whatever. Yeah. And when the design starts working on it, if even in like block mesh mode, it's like way off of that, you should be like, red flag, right, we got a problem, Right. right. Sometimes it's just the fact that there's so many things going at once in parallel and you don't have your eyes on everything. and Or you kind of go, oh, maybe that'll work. Or you look at it or you run through a block mesh and it feels like it's going to be one size. And then when you actually have all everything in there and all the obstacles and all the enemies, you're like, oh, it's twice as long as we thought. Mm-hmm. It's just gut checking all the time. Yeah. Right? So, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's... it's to me, it's a... Um, it's just sort of this crazy kind of seat of the pants process and 
you know, and sometimes when people point out flaws in the games and they go, you know, why is that like that? You know, how could they let that? And it's like, well, sometimes it's the byproduct of the process. And, and when you realize there's something that wasn't the way you wanted it, sometimes it's tempting to go, well, maybe we should be a little bit more rigid in the way we make things or whatever. But like, I think you sacrifice more than you gain by doing that. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to find kind of a happy medium between this thing that feels completely kind of like, I mean, and look, Naughty Dog is a company too, grew out of this sort of very small developer mindset, no producers, We're, we produce our own stuff to a team of like maybe 300 people now. Yeah. Still kind of trying to operate that way a little bit. Well, the company must have gradually gained skills in like knowing, because now like presumably if you say, okay, we need a 30 minute level, now the designers are probably better at making a level that's actually going to be three minutes or... Like... You know, it's funny. I think the designers are probably pretty good at making levels that they can judge the time. I think we have not traditionally... Now, look, I'm not there anymore, so sure. I can't speak to... Yeah. I haven't been there for two years, but, like, we weren't traditionally good at laying it out in front of them and going, please make sure this level's only a half hour, mm-hmm. maybe. You know, we kind of described what was happening in it, yeah. and they would go start making something. Yeah. You know, because they were just kind of owning the level. Well, probably, I guess, like, with the first one, you didn't necessarily even know... The right answers for this pacing until no, you no, could no. really finish the whole game. No, and some of this is actually backward-looking analysis as opposed to here's yeah. how it's done. Well, but so what they, I'm trying to do is apply in the same way I broke down the films and analyzed them and post-mortem them in my mind. I'm doing that with the games too, and going, well, you can look when we chart out, chart out what you know charted looked like. Um, well, no wonder this felt bad. Look at it. When you break it down on a chart, this was way too long. Yeah, you know. Well, yeah. So I, you know, I asked about, you know, where, how does this, how can this process be iterative when it's so, you know, all these interlocking pieces, whatever. And I suppose at some level, part of the iteration was literally just making three uncharted games, right? And so, what did you, what did you learn from like one to two? Like, you know, what did two learn from one, and what did three learn from two? And like, um, I mean, so much of it was just stuff that we wanted to do and couldn't. Mm-hmm. Like, the biggest evolution between one and two, of course, was our ability to do gameplay on moving objects, which, when you make your big deconstructed list of tropes and mm-hmm. uh, conventions, you know, fighting on, like, a train yeah. is like, yep, that's right in there. So that was, if you look at the initial concept pitch for Uncharted 1, it basically is Uncharted 1 through 4. Okay. Like, <laughs> you know, and so we didn't do everything. I don't mean the story pitch, I just mean yeah. the, the content. And so we punted on that early on, knowing that it was more than we could do in the time we had. But what that meant was by the time we got to Uncharted 2, it was like we needed to rewrite all of our core systems to enable our ability to have gameplay moving objects. It's not just traversal. It was the AI and navigation. It was physics. I mean, everything had objects. Everything had to work on these moving things, which is why we tried to exploit them as mm-hmm. much as we did collapsing buildings, sure. train, trucks. Um, uh, I think we got better at the pacing. Um, three was hard because even though we had two years again, it was two years after two projects that were a crunch. And mm-hmm. it was a time where we were also trying to grow the studio and split into two teams yeah. and deal with all the recruitment issues that went into that um, try to figure out what do you do after the face of the in the face of the success of the second game mm-hmm. and still only have two years with all those challenges um, it's mm-hmm. just it was a tough one yeah um, and three the third one in the series is often tough 
of any series, of films, whatever. Hmm. It's why you good is. I think it's some of the things I just said, which is you've got a team that may be even more exhausted than when they were between one and two. You know, mm-hmm. in in a case of like a situation like ours, I think it's because the first time you're making anything. One of the reasons I love Soul River so much and Uncharted One so much is. When nobody quite gets what you're making, they also don't fuck with you that much in a way. Mm. You kind of are under the radar for a while. Anytime you're under the radar, you want to exploit that period of time. That's when you can do really kind of crazy, ambitious stuff that would never pass muster from people that are risk-averse. Yeah. Uh, And that decreases with each sequel because you've got more and more stakeholders, and those stakeholders are internal. People that now have even more opinions... A bigger team that's already assembled that has opinions about what it is that you're trying to make. Yeah. Um, uh, a bigger team that's already assembled and ready to go. So there's no pre-production. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's yeah. sort of like you go, we got two years, take a nap and let's go. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like between projects. I, and, su- I and suppose with the second one, there's also all, usually a lot of low-hanging fruit. That like you just been through the process once. Well, exactly. You immediately know like, oh great, these are the... There's all the things we weren't able to do. Great, we can go, right? Yeah. And then so... When you blow those out in the second one and try to get to the third one, you're like, okay, wait a second. Now, what do we not get to do? You've got a team, like I said, that's raring to go mm-hmm. um, that you have to feed and you may not be able to because, you know, the directors are always like first in, last out, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So I would be sitting there still finishing the game and bug, you know, bug fixing or whatever, um, reviewing the game, writing the strategy guide with the people like... And not having left yet, and people are coming back from their vacations, yeah. all refreshed and ready to go. And you're like, oh, I'm still working on the last one. You know yeah. what I mean? And so... How hard is it to work personally on these type of games? Really hard. Like, how much would you work? Uh, when I, The whole time I was at Naughty Dog, ten and a half years, I probably, on average... I don't know if I ever worked less than 80 hours a week. And it was... Not average. You mean you never... There was no working week where you ever worked less than 80 hours? I pretty much... I mean, there were exceptions where it was like, okay, hey, you know, let's take a couple days off or whatever. But it's like, I pretty much worked seven days a week, at least 12 hours a day. Mostly... What would you do on Saturday and Sunday? Work. See, unless I was like... It must be a different type of work, right? I came into the office and was working. I mean, right. But it was. I mean, was everyone? I guess I mean, was everyone else there? I mean, a lot like, of a lot of it. I mean, okay. Naughty Dog is pretty notorious for the amount of crunch. Right. Um, but obviously, in a leadership role, you trying to do even more. Now, you're maybe not hands on with the game as much, but you know, you're writing or reviewing stuff, or you know, I mean, because you think about all the other things that go in that people are like, it's off their radar too. The music. Yeah. You know, working with the composer, reviewing the music, giving them notes. Like, it's like being a film director, right? Yeah. But with all these moving parts, I mean, it all flies off the handle if, it, you know, there isn't, you know, someone or a few people, you know, keeping track of all this. That's like a ton of work. And presumably right. you also had just literal work, right? You were writing, yeah. right? Yeah, so I was writing and directing. actual content and, to make, so. Yeah. Um, um, uh, and then, you know, yeah. I mean, all the steps that go into all of that stuff, like, um, and that takes you away from the team or it takes you away from the office too, which is why then when you come back and go, okay, let me see that level. Oh shit. It's twice as long as it's supposed yeah. to be, you know, 
it's it's a, it's a really difficult balancing act. Um, so is that is that lifestyle worth it for these games? Uh, that's the question, isn't it? Um, I don't think so. And but would I change anything that would say I didn't? I hadn't made those games now. Like no. Mm-hmm. So what is it? What am I? What do I mean then? I don't know. Yeah. But it's like it's clearer for me when I look think about other people than my own sacrifices or um, and I don't mean to make that sound so dramatic I just mean that you sacrifice things you sacrifice personal time all that kind of stuff but when I look at other people and go like there's people who never go home and see their families they have children that are growing up without seeing them I mean I I helped raise my niece and nephew I was Mm -hmm. co-parented but like I didn't have my own kids. I sort of, I chose my career in lots of ways. Yeah. And um, I could be single-minded like that. And when I was making sacrifices, did it affect my family? Yes, but it was primarily affecting me and I could make that choice. But when I look at other people and I realize that sort of like, I mean, we had people whose, I mean, my health really declined. Yeah. And I had to like take care of myself because it was like, I mean, bad. Like, and there were people who, you know, like collapse or, you know, have to go check themselves in somewhere after one of these games were done or Mm -hmm. they got divorced or, you know, it's like, that's not okay. Any of that, none of this is worth that. Mm -hmm. And, um, we have to get our act figured out as an industry. Uh, and the problem is, is that anti keeps getting upped. Right. And people, it's, an ar- it's an arms race. Right? It's an arms race that is, you know, unwinnable and is destroying people. And, you know, I can see, I'm seeing so many people that have been in the AAA space for a long time, you know, packing it in and going, I think I'm interested in VR. I'm going to go do casual. I'm going to go indie. I'm going to make, I'm just, people are just sick of it. Yeah. And so one of my challenges and things I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about is like, well, how do we, how can we still make games like this in a way that's sane and, and responsible and ethical? Because mm-hmm. um, we're not doing it right now. Yeah. And we shouldn't be lauding games that, <laughs> I mean, we, are we soaked in the blood of the people that yeah. made it. Well, we sure shouldn't, shouldn't be mm-hmm. like idealizing that type of that's what sacrifice. I'm yeah. Right, somehow um, that that's the badge of honor and there's chest thumping involved with yeah. like, you know making a game that way it's like yeah well, okay, I, you know I, I definitely agree with that but the fact that game making is a competition like is this an intractable intractable problem or yeah. what you know is there, is there well everything is about awards and metacritics right and it's mm-hmm. a shame you know I mean obviously it's a shorthand we all do it right, right. you know um, but I don't know. I would hope that as we start expanding genre and is there well let me let me ask it this way. Yeah. Is there a way that you guys could have made uncharted working uh, 60 hours a week? Uh I think there's lots of movable parts there. One is are you willing to go longer? Cuz there's always the pressure. I mean trying to finish a game like that in 2 years is insane. Yeah. Um Especially when you're saying, no, the two years is everything, pre-production, production, go. Yeah. That's not uh, 
really sustainable. Right. Um, so time is time is a huge one. But then everybody's racing with cost versus time. Yeah. So we're, could we do it with smaller teams longer? Sure, but we tend to throw people at these things and burn money fast. Um, uh, everybody's worried about hardware life cycles and are you getting your game done fast enough? And we've all seen games too that took too long and they kind of got lapped. You know, mm, the work that yep. they started. I mean, you end up in this endless cycle of trying to re-rev the work that you did that's no longer relevant. Um, I wonder if games with a different sort of you know, if you choose a more stylized art style, yeah. for example, uh-huh. then you know you're kind of like, it doesn't matter as much, and you can take the time. Well, right? in the sense of industry, like, what's, where's the bar? Yeah, for sure, right? But I think it's it's also just people, it's, if you're building specifically for a piece of hardware. Yeah, sure. Which, of course, Naughty Dog always was, you yeah. know. There's always that, You just too. have a certain window. Yeah, and of course there's, there's no tons of pressure. I mean, development's expensive, and there's always people like you know with spreadsheets chasing you and, and freaking out. Um, yeah. Uh, I think that we can always be smarter about how we work. I think we probably, you know, as human beings, we waste time with lack of focus sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't. I mean, I wouldn't say that's a problem at Naughty Dog. I mean, people work their asses off, but there's lots of research that says. You know, there's diminishing returns after a certain number of hours a week, and it's the fallacy of, uh, you know, crunch being. Yeah, I mean, do you believe that's true? Like, I mean, it's like it's easy to read that, mm-hmm. but do you think that if you had just decided not to come in on weekends, that you know, you would have gotten just as much done? I think it's half true, right? Meaning that, I mean, your capacity to be productive declines rapidly, yeah, right? Sure. Um, that, yeah. But. You know, even if you're crawling forward on your hands and knees, you're crawling forward, right? <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, and I think it depends on the industry, too. I think in some industries that's probably completely true that, you know, the, the you'd be better off to just work fewer hours and be fresher. But yeah. there's also evidence that, like, you know, some developers in some countries who have much more humane cultural values... Mm-hmm. Um, have not excelled the same way some of these like you know blood and guts American developers have yeah. and there's a reason right yeah. uh, it's the hard it's a hard thing to look at because you know I mean we're in this because we care so much about games mm-hmm. you know but yeah. <laughs> we want everyone to equally care a little less <laughs> altogether. So. Well, and that's the thing. is like, do all games have to be everything to everyone? Like, yeah. why is it not, especially now that we have different distribution models, why is everything still $60? I don't understand mm. this. And now, granted, it's not, but I just mean in my world. Yeah, sure. Um, like, when you go to pitch a game like this, it's like, well, it better be this many hours, and you better have this mode, and you better do this, and yep. what's the... It's like... Or we could go, you know, we're going to make the best fucking six-hour game you've ever seen. Yeah. Is And that's all it is. Yeah. And could you please make that $40? Yeah. Or I don't know, like... Well, that, it's happening, but, you know, Naughty Dog was a place that's, you know, mm-hmm. mainstream AAA developer, right? Like, they do things mm-hmm. the, the traditional way, so... Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm in, the, I'm in the process of pitching right now. One of the first things I talk to with any publisher is that... Like, I think that there's no substitute for time. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I think a team of, 
Let's see if I get their math right. You know, a team of 10 who has three years to make a game versus a team of 15 who mm-hmm. has two years, it costs the exact same amount of money. That game is going to be twice as good, mm-hmm. you know? And presumably, the publisher is going to want a game that's twice as good. Mm-hmm. Um, no, obviously, there's just a limit to that, you know? Sometimes long is too long, you know? Yeah, yeah. Or, well, I, mean, I think the console but, thing is a big problem, as, it you, is. as you mentioned, yeah. right? Like, there's just no getting out of it. And for me, it doesn't matter. It's PC, right? People <laughs> will be paying, playing PC games in three years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I think the other issue is when you're talking, especially when you're talking about publicly held cor- corporations. And oh, that's the other thing too. It's just quarterly results. Yeah, and, I mean, you know, yeah. it's like you can't. It's like you know, you guys are going to need games in three years, just as so much you need them in two years. But it's just mm-hmm. that's just hard. You know, a lot, a lot of the executives like they may not be around in three years, right? No, exactly. You know, they, so they don't care what you're going to do in three years. It's sort of the general manager they care what problem you're doing in sports. This you know? Yeah, yeah. Yes. They're like they 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 need to win now. Um, Right, yeah. and a lot of these, yeah, because for that reason, a lot of these organizations don't look very far ahead. Yeah, they really don't look three years ahead. Yeah, yeah, I've been on games that gotten, you know, moved up. You know, when you have like two months to go, it gets moved. The release date gets moved up two weeks just because it'll be, it'll be in a different fiscal quarter and it'll help our accounting mm-hmm. a little bit. Like, yeah, that's not a decision made for any logical reason, yeah. right? Like, yeah. I mean, I and I get it. It is. It's a business, right? At the end yeah. of the day, it's a business. It's not just art, but. Um, but we're definitely at the point where something's got to give, yeah. right? And my hope was that the different means of distribution, the fact that we weren't, everything wasn't, you know, brick and mortar in a box, would be that. Mm-hmm. And I think for in some quarters that's true, but I think for AAA development, we're still just kind of stuck in that in that rut. And it's actually the ante keeps getting up because it's like, you know, I mean, Uncharted 1, I mean, probably what, 10-hour game maybe? Yeah. No other modes, unlockables, and stuff like that. Can't make a game like that anymore. Right, yeah. Yeah, that's, <laughs> man, that's kind of scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you can, you just can't charge $60 for it. So. Right, and the problem is, is it might cost enough to make that you have to. You know yeah, what I yeah. mean? So that's it's partly the problem of the genre, right? I mean, it's it's the arms race of photoreal and um, yeah. the latest rendering tech and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, it does make you feel like you know. I, I see why people peel away and and do things that are are focused in a different way, either a different kind of medium, yep. um, or uh, or just different kind of art. Yeah. You know, like it's a it's a tough place to put yourself for sure. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's for me, it's. I love the genres so much, and uh, I love the challenge of going, like, and I know some people, like, turn their nose up at it and get dogmatic about games and films and all that stuff, but I love that idea of taking stuff that we we know and love so well and transforming it in a way, um, in in a different medium, you know? Right. And then figuring out how we can evolve that, evolve that idea and what it means to play that thing instead of just watching it it's like still still yeah. fascinating to me now before we leave Uncharted let's talk a little about the characters because I think one of the things yeah. you know, interesting about that series is I think people really attach themselves to the characters a lot more than they do in, in most story based mm-hmm. video games um, so can you talk a little bit about I mean, presumably you must have been pretty heavily involved in how those characters developed and writing them and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, so. no, for sure. I mean, that was my primary focus. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I was involved in the game design and, yeah. and all that other stuff. But so, how, how did you build those characters? How did they develop? 
Uh, I think it's a few different things, and part of it is coming also from that place of being open to the process um, and not white-knuckling control of things, mm-hmm. which is, uh, first of all, try to write them like human beings, mm-hmm. even though you're writing a genre thing. Uh, try to get in their heads, which I know sounds kind of silly because we're talking about something that is slightly cartoony, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of story-wise, which, you know, Uncharted uh, often was. But, you know, find their find their humanity, find their flaws, don't make them two-dimensional. These are all obvious things. But so much of it comes out of the process. And this is kind of like the, the advice I would pass on to somebody trying to do this is some of it's philosophical, which is when you're casting... You know, find the person that is going to engage with the process and play and bring something to it. Um, don't get hung up on star casting. Don't mm. get hung up on their looks. Don't get, um, I don't know, some people just, I think they get kind of seduced by the idea of like, oh, it's a little bit of playing with Hollywood or something. Mm-hmm. It's like, don't do any of that. And then when you find somebody that you like... Don't try to go... Because you're never going to get a square peg in a square hole. It never works out like that. You find somebody and you're like, they're really intriguing. Not mm-hmm. what I was picturing for the character at all. Well, now that hole better be the same shape as that actor. Okay. So the and, character needs to change a little. Yeah. yeah. And so many times what you find, because I think... And this is getting better, but because early on we were so sort of clumsy and sort of entering this world, working with actors and stuff like that, is sort of... We're, you know, we're engineers and we're nerds and, you know, sort of like you treat them like they're just one more asset. Mm-hmm. And they're not. They're a collaborator, mm-hmm. right? Um, and a collaborator that's going to have ownership of that character and enhance them in ways that you couldn't have foreseen. And you should be excited about that in the same way that you want to give a level to a level designer who's going to own it and enhance it in ways that you wouldn't foresee and you'd be excited about that. Yeah. So the same way you don't want to white-knuckle control in the office, you don't want to white-knuckle it with the actors. And so... Um, I've seen times when people are like, well, they, they hire this person. They're like, could you do it in this accent and maybe, you know, don't walk that way. And it's like, well, why did you cast them? You just mm-hmm. got excited about that person, but not excited enough to change a character. Uh, so get to know them, wrap the character around them. All the characters were transformed by who we cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, listen. When you have them together, learn who they are, and again, write to those sort of their characteristics, their idiosyncrasies, their personalities. Uh, get them together. I mean, again, these are common sense things. People didn't used to do that. You know, they would have actors in by themselves. Or worse, the early days of mocap, they would bring in a mocap performer, oh, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And then they would just bring in the voice actors like they were used to to dub over that performance. Uh-huh. It's like, or you could just bring the actor in and put yeah. them in the suit, done. Right? Yeah. People weren't even using stage audio. Even on Uncharted 1, we couldn't, and I wanted to, because mocap rooms weren't made to be sound stages, because okay. that wasn't where it came from. Yeah. Right? Um, and so all of the audio on Uncharted 1, for instance, was all recorded on lav mics that we had clipped to the actors, but then I had to then transcribe exactly what the actor did in my favorite takes, including breaths and little half words and all that stuff, and then have them ADR it to picture. To re- mm-hmm. So it sounded like we'd recorded it on the day. Hugely okay. inefficient, but they, I didn't have a they chance. They had to do it again? Is that what you mean? Yes, yeah, so we would go exactly. in and like re- record to the picture and go like and match the lip flaps like you would in a film. Yeah. 
but recreating their own performance because this wasn't usable audio. The, yeah. the love mic wasn't good enough quality yeah. because we weren't in a soundstage. Yeah. So for Uncharted 2, we worked with our mocap partner to build a soundstage yeah. so that we could be one-to-one uh, so that you get the, the again, the organic immediacy of all that stuff. Having them in even when you're recording VO to work together so that they could be playing off of each other. Um, certainly having them together on the stage. Yeah, the, the flip side of that sort of weird mocap thing of having mocap performers and then ADRing their performances with an actor was sometimes they would already record the VO performances and have the mocap actors pantomime to it. Mm. That looked great, you know, as you can imagine. So it's like, <laughs> why the lack of common sense around this stuff? Because yeah. it's such an unfamiliar world to a bunch of engineering-minded people. Yeah. Even animators... When they're working with an actors on the mocap stage, you have to teach them that these people aren't meat puppets. Mm-hmm. They're people with their own motivations who want to understand what you want from them. Don't go, well, if you could move your arm here and then just do it a little bit more like this. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. you don't need me. I'm an actor. <laughs> if you want to do it, get in the suit, dude. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, describe to me what you want and then I will interpret that and give it to you. Yeah. Uh, another thing that we did is tons of improv. And this is where the sort of humility and the check your ego at the door collaborative process comes in, right? Which is we would write scripts and we'd go in. We'd, first of all, we would invest in the fact that we actually had a rehearsal day, a table read, mm-hmm. and then blocking and rehearsal before the next day which we, when we would shoot and go, all right, get your pencils. Here's the foundation for what we're going to do, but let's talk it through. Let's make it better. So they really were co-writers in a way, right? Yeah. And you have to be able to like maintain this balance between a healthy writer's ego and the humility that it takes to in- invite other people into that process and be able to, on, on a dime, be able to decide whether somebody's pitching a change where you go, that's awesome, that's better than what I wrote, yes, let's do that, or go, I see why you want to do that, but let's keep it as read and it's not because of my ego, it's because it's important this wording actually is relevant for something else that you're not aware of. Yeah. Uh, explaining what they're doing as opposed to just going here, read this, right? Um, and then getting out on the stage and letting them improv and just kind of holding that tiger by the tail, mm-hmm. right? A lot of what we did too, we would record video uh, capture gameplay mm-hmm. and take that into the ADR stage into uh, the voice studio and we'd have the actors so if it's Drake and Sully running around together we'd have Richard and Nolan come in sit in chairs be up mic'd up and then watch the screen and just chase picture mm-hmm. and some of it was scripted like okay this is the part where they need to talk about blah 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 right and they'd kind of look down and go okay so this is where we talk about hey see that thing there right a lot of it is just them chasing it and reacting in the moment so some of them the the best things that you know people remember from these things, whether it's you know banter between the characters or a comment that Drake makes, it's like it's because it was them commenting to each other, or Nolan commenting as Drake about what he was seeing. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like he'll be just ADRing the gameplay video and go like, "Oh shit, not again," you know. And it's sort of like he's being Drake, but mm-hmm. he's like, you know, another wall to climb, you know, mm-hmm. or a you know a bunch of guys come out of the woodwork. It's like. Jesus, where are these guys coming from? You know, it's like 
you know, it's like him saying that. Mm. Or sometimes the joke, you'll hear some sort of honest little laughter between them because it was an actual joke. Right. Or sometimes they would say something and I'm like, I'm taking I'm that and take putting that, it yeah. somewhere else, you know. So it's like we would just cut them out and keep these little gems, you know. There's one line in Uncharted 3 that I, I loved because Cutter was just basically Graham, the actor who plays him. And he and Nolan have this sort of ball-busting relationship. And sitting, just sitting there, we were recording, but it was between, like, takes or whatever. Nolan said something, and Graham just sort of groans and says, Does your ignorance have no bottom? And I'm like, keep that. <laughs> and I took it and I put it somewhere else. Because it's like, that is something Cutter would say to Drake at the right time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so... So it's being open to this sort of like uh, crazy, organic, imp- improvisational, unknowable thing that you're making. Yeah. As opposed to trying to control it and box it and, you know, and, and willing to spend the little bit of money it takes to do that. Investing in the fact that having the actors in together can be more expensive because you're paying both of them. Having a rehearsal day costs more than not having one. Mm-hmm. Sitting in the studio and letting them ADR to picture, well, half the time they might just be kind of grunting and chasing. And it's more expensive than saying, here's the five lines I want you to say, yeah. but it yields this other result. Yeah. And so, why are the characters so likable? Why do we feel so attached to them? Well, it's because you're spending time with the actors. Yeah. And it's because all of that is a manifestation of all of those philosophical choices in our process all right well that's a good that's a good answer uh, cool yeah no i think that'll be really interesting for people um cool. well it's a hard one to fight for right yeah. because uh you know sometimes i feel bad giving this advice when some poor sap tries to go back to their producer and say that sure. and, you know and get shot down and yeah. it's like even i have to fight yeah. for it even after having the success I've had doing it a certain way people still want me to justify it you yeah. know and it's like well proof's in the pudding but I'll explain yeah. it to you again if you want me to yeah. um, nobody wants to see us waste money right or feel like we're just playing right. but it is sort of this the words that keep coming up in all of this of course is and, and you know it's, this is the surfacey level stuff that we always say you know gotta dig deeper right but like collaboration and that I mean of course we collaborate right but that it's not just a buzzword what that means is you check your fucking ego and like let the thing breathe and let other people own it and then have enough of holistic uh, insight to be able to kind of go a little bit more like this a little bit more like that oh that's not what I would have done but it's better than what I would have done so good job or Mentally, it's not what I would have done, but it's just as good as what I would have done. Therefore, it's better than what I would have done because right. it's theirs. Or to be able to go, yeah, we're going to need to take another crack at this and and be able to do that in a way that's sort of immediate and objective as much as possible. It's hard to do, right? Right, yeah. But that feeling that you know, you're know you not trying to be an auteur and tell people what to do and hold their pencil, basically. Yeah, sure. Right? Um, having enough empathy that we're applying that to... The fact that not only are our teammates our collaborators and the actors are our collaborators, but the players are collaborators. Mm-hmm. So we're leaving room for them yeah. and and being mindful of them. And I think that's the other thing, too, is is that, you know, 
constantly trying to think, well, what is it that the player will be thinking right here, and how can we honor that? How can we inspire their curiosity and reward them for being curious? Uh, and and like I say, improvisation is everything, right? Everything's iteration, and 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 the idea of making that leap of faith and figuring it out on the way down is what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then faith, okay. the word faith, right? That everything we do, it's that upside down puzzle. So everything that we do is a sustained act of faith, both internally and mutually, for this entire length of development. And if you can't get on board with that, it's it's going to make everybody miserable, right? right. If you're constantly second-guessing, if you're being second-guessed by your leaders um, or the executives of an organization, um, or the process is not, you know, imbued with faith, uh, you're doomed, right? Yeah. And so none of these things feel very practical and actionable, but they're the things, they're the touchstones that should be a banner's hanging over our heads all the time, right? right. Don't forget these things. Yeah. You know? I mean, the, the Uncharted series is a pretty solid chunk of your professional life, right? Yeah. And uh, so, you know, obviously you learned a lot mm-hmm. you know, over the process. I mean, what do you feel like now looking back? I mean, now you're, you know, you're not with Naughty Dog anymore, so the, you no, know, the franchise back, back is at off, yeah. off on its own now. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you feel looking back at what you, know, what you did there? really proud of it you know and and then look i mean uh, i don't know that i had these insights that i could articulate going in mm-hmm. you know a lot of them are learned things or earned things um and look i'm i'm 52 and i mm-hmm. think you sort of you hit 50 and you start thinking about you start looking back as much as you're looking forward mm-hmm. um and as a a creative person you also start going oh, wait a second 52. How many at-bats do I have if these mm-hmm. games take two or four years? Yeah. And and what do I want to be working on? And who do I want to be working with? Right. Um, there is a certain level of sort of life's too short that goes into your thinking in terms of putting up with bullshit. Right. Um, and it's clarifying, right? And it's a clarity that you kind of wish you had had when you were 25 <laughs> and not 52. Yeah. Um, but you couldn't, right? Uh, and so, you know, people... It was funny, I just did a PAX thing, and we talked about a lot of this stuff, actually. Jerry Holkins and I, he was on the stage with me. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, one of the questions that came out of the audience at the Q&A part was, what was the worst game you worked on? Mm-hmm. Well, there's lots of ways to interpret and answer that question, Right. But really the answer is none of them, right? Mm-hmm. Because so I spent a year working on some crappy RoboCopy rip-offy clone thing mm-hmm. and I learned so much from doing it. Yeah. And it didn't come out. I could say that's the worst game of my career. Uh, I spent a year working on Bard's Tale 4 that was sort of full of problems that I learned from mm-hmm. by observation. Um and, and honed my craft that never came out. I could say that's the worst one, right? I worked on Michael Jordan, Chaos in the Windy City, which, you know, is a joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's the punchline to a joke. Undeservedly, I think, right? Because mm-hmm. I think it's actually a really well-constructed game. But from the concept, it yeah. is what it is, right? Uh, so I could say that's the worst game. But I already laid out what we didn't learn from it, Right. right. 
uh, all these things also gave me portfolios to go on to the next thing. And mm-hmm. I took those lessons from every single one of them and rolled them into the next thing. So there, right. there's, it's a dumb question. You know what I mean? <laughs> or it's the wrong question. I wouldn't say yeah. that to this guy that asked it, but I mean, it's the wrong question because if you're looking at it that way, you're already off base. Right. Right. Well, your career has had a trajectory. So, you know, that's the, uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose if you did context. something and it like completely derailed you, and then you're like, well, now I'm not even making games anymore, and you know, then you could <laughs> say, well, that was a disaster that game, right? But like, yeah. do you mean worst experience? Do you mean worst game in a box that right. you tried to sell? Um, because if you're doing it right, it, and even if it was a miserable experience, you learned something from it that you took into the next thing. Yeah. Right? So, um, so part of it is just mindset. Yeah. So is there? So you, you know, you finished Uncharted three. Mm-hmm. Did yeah. you leave Naughty Dog relatively soon after no, that? No, I or? worked on Uncharted four for two years. Oh, you did. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, and the bulk of my work is still in that game. I oh, worked okay. on it for two okay. years. So the script, you a lot of the script is what you wrote. Not the script. So because here's the thing. So I mean, what you lay out first is like the thing I showed okay, you. Right. It's sort of like what is the premise? Mm-hmm. What is the object of desire? What is our historical mystery? And what is the meaning behind that? Where are we going to go? What is the trail, the plot trail that's going to get us there? Um, um, obviously, I had the brother in there. I had the characters in there. Um, and I had cast and shot some stuff. Okay. Um, but then when I left, they wanted to do different things. And look, if you're writing it, you better not be trying to fill in somebody else's blanks, right? You mm-hmm. know, Obviously, they wanted to write it a different way. They saw the characters a different way. Uh, they recast some actors, got rid of some, lost some, and therefore, I mean, obviously, there was nothing they were, they were going to use from my stuff I shot, but there was nothing they should have used from the stuff I shot or could have even used. Sure. So, so in terms of the actual scenes, dialogue, anything I shot, no, they they set that aside. Mm-hmm. But overall, the progression. I mean, the major difference is since the game's out now I mean like pretty much that I was hoping to do like pirate flashbacks I loved the idea of actually flashing back to Henry Avery mm-hmm. but I mean it's kind of a crazy idea because asset wise and everything suddenly, <laughs> you have, suddenly you have to make Black Flag as well as I'm trying yeah, for sure. um, but I was like still trying to figure out if we could do that because part of this is a detective story and that idea of having flashbacks that informed it seemed fun mm-hmm. um, if we could make make it make sense um and I didn't have the flashback with the brothers as boys, although I could see us have stumbled into that idea if we, if I'd worked on it some more, because it seems natural. Mm-hmm. I didn't have Nadine as a character, um, uh, and I didn't, I didn't have an epilogue with a daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, but everything else, the locations, the order of them, kind right. of overall, what's kind of in, in course terms, what's happening, is all the work that I did. Yeah. So, I mean... Well, I suppose this, that stuff, once the ship starts rolling, that kind of stuff is going to kind of stay the same unless you really want to change the game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and there's work done on a lot of that stuff. I mean, obviously, us deciding to um, add the rope mechanic, for instance, that's something yeah. we were working on. Um, revamping the entire climbing system we were working on. Uh, yeah. You know, putting vehicles in was we were starting to work on. So, like, you know, it's, you know, I don't want people to think that it's like, wow, they throw away everything and start over. It's like, no, 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 no. I mean, that's sure. like, was it hard? tons of foundational work. Was it hard to detach yourself? Oh, really hard. Series? It's still hard. Yeah. Yeah, it's really hard. But 
thank God for Star Wars, right? <laughs> because it's like, you know, anytime you feel like it's like if you start going there, you know, we kind of snap ourselves up and go, anyway, Star Wars, yeah. right? It's like, I mean, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Did you, did you, did you get a chance to play like versions of it as it was getting close or did you like literally walk into a store and pick up a copy after it released and like, or whatever, however you got your copy. Whatever. I mean, obviously I but played, like, I was playing it while I was there and on it, but But no. like the final, you know, that no, kind of, you yeah. know, was it kind of like you got to see what happened when it was finally done and it was, just, I saw what the it, public saw after yeah, yeah, I left basically. Yeah. 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 It's weird. It's a little bit of a head trip. Well, look, it's it's that's putting it lightly. Yes, Um, (laughs) but uh, it's weird because even in something that seems as sort of fluffy and genre-y as that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're pulling those characters out of your head Mm -hmm. in your heart, right? So it's like. There's some personal stuff in there yeah. that, again, it's sort of like people are like, what, when he punched the guy? It's like, no, no. I mean, like, anytime you're writing anything, it's coming from a personal place. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's weird when, like, uh, you know, you, those characters are me. Do you know what I mean? Like, that sounds mm-hmm. like a weird thing to say, but it's like... They're a part of you. They're in my head. Yeah. Their voices came out of me. I collaborated with a lot of people to do that. And, you know, you know, I think, what did he... Nolan would always say, you know, Amy gave birth to Drake and, and she let me raise him. Mm. Which is a, a nice way of putting it, you know. Mm. But meaning that as soon as, as I got to know Nolan and Richard, who played Sully, and Emily, who played Elaine, etc., it's sort of like, you know, obviously... You yeah, you take this thing and you put it in their hands and go, it's yours now, right? Yeah. Um, but that first draft is still you mm-hmm. going, let me get in their heads, let me write this scene, let me you know, and and so it's I'm trying to think of the right way to say this that doesn't come off wrong, but like you know, splitting from something like that, it's like having a divorce and losing the kids. Mm-hmm. And. You know, like you still have to see the Facebook page. Right. <laughs> you things, know, things still go on. Yeah. You know, your things spouse with the new significant other who's <laughs> now raising your child. You know, and the smiling pictures, and it's like, oh, I should probably not. I should probably have a friend of them. You know what I mean? It's like it's inevitable when you spend ten, you know, ten yeah. years on something. Yeah. yeah. So there's no easy way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you want to? Um, do you want to talk about? Why you tried to decided to leave, or why you joined EA, or I don't know how much I can say. Yeah, I but... mean, you could. Yeah, this stuff is pretty recent, so I mean, you can talk about why you want to join EA, right? I mean, yeah, no, you... absolutely. You know, um, uh, it was. I'd had a friend there <clears throat> who had been there for quite a while, and I had known him for twenty years or something. We, you know, worked together at Crystal Dynamics when. We were both much younger. Mm-hmm. And he'd been trying to come and get me to join Visceral for a while. Um, but it was, I mean, it was never an option. You know, I was always in the yeah. midst of things. And um, and then I talked to him. I must have been, well, March of two years. No, no, two years. Mm-hmm. And then March 2014. Um, and he says, well, like... Okay, well, we got this thing that we're working on. It's Star Wars, you know. And I'm like, you know, you'd be perfect for it. And I'm like, oh, shit. Because I, I mean, and look, this is not a knock on anything. I don't mean it this way, but it's like, 
I had no intentions of going back to EA. I started my career there. I wanted to sure. do something different. I was thinking about doing something completely different than AAA again. I was thinking like, well, maybe I'll do VR. Maybe I'll just take a break. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, I'll go travel or something. Because I've, like, not had vacations properly for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, So you, you, left with, you left without a job? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, and... Uh, and I moved back up north because again that's where my family is but it does sound like a good time for you to take a vacation (laughs) it was a perfect time and actually um, but as soon as people realized I wasn't at Naughty Dog anymore my phone started ringing and I was like I was sitting there kind of going okay well you know what I haven't traveled for a long time I'm getting older I want to do that before you know and then I was inundated and um, uh, you know and it was kind of fascinating because it's like on the one hand I was like oh holy shit here we go but it was yeah. fascinating because, I mean, I... You only get so many times in your life to experience that, I suppose, right? Yeah, well, and also it was like, because I was already in the mindset of, like, I don't need to work. Yeah. I mean, I've lived frugally and made okay money. Mm-hmm. I don't need to work. Therefore, I don't have to come from a place of urgency or panic. Yep. Um, I could just go meet people and take meetings and go see what they're doing. And yep. it's kind of interesting because, you know, you don't get that insight often, right? Mm-hmm. And actually, I wish I'd had more time to do that because the Star Wars thing came along pretty fast. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, within a month, I was working at EA. Yeah. Less than a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and I didn't think... I just thought, ah, I don't know if I'd fit in a place like Electronic Arts. Going from a company like Naughty Dog is like the antithetical opposite to EA in terms of structure and yeah. and all that stuff. And, and again, I... I spent four years at the beginning of my career there. It felt weird to go full circle. Yeah. Does um, your, this is kind of a weird aside, but yeah. does your paycheck say originally hired on something 95 or whatever that would be? Who gets paper paychecks? Oh, anymore? Yeah, I, I, just, I bring it up because I worked at EA in 99, 2000. Right. And then I left and I came back in 2007. Yeah, and I remember my paycheck was like, like originally oh. hired in 1999. I was like, oh, that's weird. I've been yeah, no, they've got. Hanging around the EA database yes. for. No, everybody's eight years. in there, believe me. Yeah, anyway, um, good. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm sure my reviews are still in there somewhere <laughs> from 91 and 92. Uh, so and then my other concern of course was well how much is this going to break my heart because Star Wars is my favorite thing ever mm-hmm. It, like I said it made me the person I am mm-hmm. set me on my course in some way um, this is going to be heartbreaking isn't it because there's too many big stakeholders in place you've got Disney, Lucasfilm and Electronic Arts mm-hmm. you like am I going to be able to do right. what I do mm-hmm. um I mean, people have horror stories about trying to work with a license or IP, right? So I went to EA, and I I had like three days of going there and talking to people, and I talked to Andrew Wilson and Patrick Soderlund and Mm -hmm. everybody on down, and uh, went up to Lucasfilm and talked to all the execs there, and like I kind of came away going, oh, everybody's got their head screwed on straight. Like, that's not what I expected, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Andrew and Patrick had been in their positions maybe six months, mm-hmm. and the whole kind of organization had changed, and I liked what they were saying. Um, the people I've, at Lucasfilm felt like soulmates. <laughs> they <laughs> felt like kidding, sure. you know, in terms of what they liked and what they believed. Um, and and then, you know, what they wanted to do with the franchise aligned with what I could bring to the table, you know. The fact that it did, nobody wanted to do a movie tie-in game, nobody wanted to try to like just 
repeat and play in the same sandbox again. It was like, no, we are telling new stories in the Star Wars universe, and we need people who want to join us in doing that. Mm-hmm. In the film side and the TV side and the you know books and comics and all that. Um, and so this sort of, in the same track that you see Dave Filoni and his team on with Clone Wars and Rebels, mm-hmm. um, the track that... Uh, the standalone films are on. I mean, not only the 7, 8, and 9, which of course need to chart new territory, but like, you know, Rogue One and the Han Solo film, and Mm -hmm. there's more coming, you know, and it's like feeling like I could be part of that process. Right. It's like, how do you say no to that? Even, Even with reservations, even going, well... This could break my heart. Uh, this could turn out not to be what I'm hoping it is. If somebody says, hey, would you come and work on an original Star Wars game and story? And you go, nah, no thanks. Like, you would always go, what if I had done that? What if I had said yes? So pretty much there is no answer other than yes. No. And then fight like mad to do it right. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah... It's an interesting time of that franchise. I mean, it'd be one of the few IP I would ever at least think about doing something with. It, yeah, like, me too. Yeah, pretty pre- presented. And it's, it's, it's in an interesting state where it's just like, every, I assume everyone who's involved, everyone has like the best intentions, right? Like, yeah. Everyone is charged about doing it the they right way. They have it set up the yeah. right way. I mean, it's still hard, right? Yeah, yeah. It's the biggest franchise hard, in the world. Yeah. And, and, uh, but the people at Lucasfilm and the story group, and, and and I feel so blessed because it's like, again, you sort of figure there's going to be some handshake with some business person at Lucasfilm. It's like, no, I got embraced into the story group, the people that are working on the films. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's interesting. I feel like that an entire generation had to pass for those yeah. movies to fall into kind of the right hands. Well, and you can like, see that. It's all the people that were 12 and 8 right. that are like... Because they can understand yeah. it in a way that just the people who made it that just can't, which just sounds weird, but that's just the way it is. I mean, yeah. there's no other way to put it, really. Yeah. And a lot of the old hands are still there. I mean, Dennis Muren and John Knoll, and it's, I mean, I've gotten to spend time with those guys and meet mm-hmm. them and get, I mean, it's like, it's it's definitely a pinch me situation, right? Sure. Like, um, and I've said before, like, you know, because we're doing something original and they're really invested in it. Again, as collaborators, right? Because it's not like we came and said, here's our pitch. It's like, we want to kind of do something like this. And they helped shape us. There's an investment there, a creative investment, because they they figured it out with us. And and then Doug Chang, who was the, their Uber art director, you know, mm-hmm. is working with us as our art director. We meet with him every week and, mm-hmm. like, just review our concepts and have him tweak them and write on them with Sharpie and send us drawings. It's like... He's designed some of our stuff. It's like, yeah, my blind. Yeah, you know, it doesn't mean it's not hard. You know, um, and that there's not obstacles and 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 everything, but not like you'd think. Right. Sure. So, uh, you know, it the all the obstacles are worthwhile and part of the challenge of making the game, which is, um. Talking about different ways to make things and do things, different processes than people may be used to, um, organizationally, culturally. Um, right. It's a good catalyst to have to say, hey, we're going to make this Star Wars mm-hmm. thing, right? If you're talking about some new IP that people are having trouble buying into, it's sort of like, okay, if we make a good Star Wars game, people will come. Right, yeah. So, we always say we can take that out of the risk column, right? <laughs> That's true. So, now, we just have to work on all the other risks. Yeah, yeah. And, um, 
and use that as uh, you know part of the you know the bully pulpit to go like this is a really important thing that we're making so let's make sure we talk about how we do that right yeah. not even not just in, I mean process wise how we do it right culturally how we do it right yeah you know? cool so when I when I get to the uh, the end of the interview the one thing I like to usually ask is mm-hmm. you know kind of looking back at your career you know why is it that you've dedicated your professional life to making games mm-hmm. why, why is that what you did it's always a hard one to answer isn't it like we ever know why we do what we do. Um, but the way I've thought about it is um, because I loved games in so many forms growing up, right? Mm-hmm. Arcade games, board games, Dungeons and Dragons, you know, video games, um, as well as the other things that still inspire me, like, you know, movies and things, and, and that you think about. how lucky you are how fortunate you are to be able to create things that provide that experience for someone else right Mm -hmm. that I'm so grateful to the people that created the things that I love and 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 so resonated with me and are so memorable these fictional experiences right Mm -hmm. that somehow I've gotten up to a point in my life that I get to do the same thing for somebody else Mm -hmm. is kind of mind-blowing Mm-hmm. And so, you know, why games is like, it's purely that. It's kind of a giving back thing, right? And that, um, and that sounds far too altruistic, and I don't mean that exactly, but it's like, I think that that's what's sustaining. And it certainly is when you meet people who have played your games, right? Because we get kind of shuttered away and heads down and mm-hmm. working, and then you go to a show or somebody reaches out and contacts is yeah. through all these social media channels that they have now mm-hmm. um, uh, you know you do a talk and you know you have these people coming up to you going you have no idea how much your games meant to me or um, and you think oh these these little flights of entertainment that are so ephemeral and it's like you know or silly, you know, mm-hmm. but people come up and go, no, it changed my life. You don't understand. I was in a really dark place, and when I played this game, it got me through that. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I played these games with my father, and when we got to the third one, he had been diagnosed terminal, and he hung out, hung on until we could play it together. Mm-hmm. Um, or I'm doing this now. I'm in the industry because I played Soul Reaver and it inspired me. Yeah. It's like, so... That's why, you know, yeah. and it's uh, whenever we can get reminded that we're actually touching people and we shouldn't be embarrassed about that because our game is, our, our, our medium is, is somehow trivial. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not. Yeah. yeah. That's why. Did we talk for five hours? Yeah, Am I the record? You're, uh, you know... <laughs> People ask that a lot. Unfortunately, there have been some really long ones, so I have to tell you, you're close. We're at three and a half hours. I, I thought I wouldn't have stuff to say for two. <laughs> you know, they, 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 these guys have generally tended to get longer over time as I talk to different people. I don't know. I mean... It's a lot to talk about. Yeah. Um, well, hopefully that but when you have has a, some sort of a coherent shape to it. No, I think that was, that was great. I think people are going to like that. Yeah.